0: This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be.'" And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Revelation chapter 7. As I prepared for this message this week, the story of Adniram Judson came to mind. Adniram was a missionary who lived in early 1800s America. He was part of one of the first missionary societies in the United States. And when he was living stateside, he met a young lady named Anne Hasseltine. Now, Anne had also been sensing a call to go overseas and share the gospel. And Adoniram fell in love and wanted to marry Anne. And he decided to write his, Anne's father, a letter asking for her hand in marriage. Now, when we think of that kind of thing, we think rom-com. You complete me. This is not exactly that. Listen to what Judson wrote to Anne's father. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress. To degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. You know, I missed this scene in the notebook. What would you do if you got that letter? How would you respond? Well, John Hasseltine, Ann's father, said, you know, he did not go the country music route, he did not grab his shotgun and chase the boy off his porch he said, you know what? I have discipled and raised my daughter to know the Lord and know the scriptures. I'm going to let her make the choice. And Anne said yes. They got married, and almost immediately after, they got on a ship for Southeast Asia in a time where this was before airplanes, so sea travel was not uh, guaranteed. It was dangerous. And as Judson said in his letter, this was a time where traveling overseas put you at great risk of disease. So Adniram meant it when he said that her father might never see Anne again. What would compel Adniram Judson to write this kind of letter? To want this kind of life? What would compel Anne to say yes? for them both to move overseas. This summer, we've been talking here at Redemption Hill about choosing boldness. We've had these wristbands that we've uh, given out to you guys and to our teams that have come up to help us. And we've been talking about choosing boldness for God's namesake. And Christians have been doing that for centuries and millennia. Why? Today in Revelation 7, we're going to look in verses 9 and 10, and see four reasons why Christians choose boldness. So let's pray, and then we're going to hop into the word. Lord, we need you today. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. May I speak truly, wisely, and clearly for your name's sake. Amen. So I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation uh, it is a, written by John, uh, the beloved disciple of Jesus. And Jesus revealed these visions to him and told John to write down everything he saw. Now, there are parts of Revelation that are heavily debated. This part is not. And We're going to look at Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10. Beginning in verse 9. After this I looked... we see in this text that we can choose boldness because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Now, at first glance of the text, that might not come super clearly. But in Revelation, we see over and over there are allusions back to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. So, keep your, if you have a physical Bible, keep your finger in Revelation chapter 7. We're actually going to hop really quickly to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to see what John is referring to here. Now, at this point in the Bible, God had created the first man and woman to love and honor and glorify him and be in this perfect relationship with him. But they rebelled and rejected God and went their own way, not God's way. And now God is initiating this relationship with this man named Abraham. At this point in the text, his name is still Abram. God would later change his name to Abraham. So no, when you hear Abram, it's the same person as Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is making a bold promise to this man that this one man that he was calling to leave his homeland and go somewhere new and said, I will bless you in a way that you're going to be a great nation. Your descendants are going to be so many that you are going to have an entire nation of descendants. And those descendants are going to bless every family on earth. That's an incredible promise to make to... uh, this one person. But later, God doubles down. Just one page over, Genesis chapter 13, verse 16. God promises Abram, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. If you can imagine going to the beach or going to the desert and trying to count the solitary grains of sand, God is saying, I'm going to give you so many descendants that trying to count them, it would be like trying to count the grains of sand in the desert. It it, it would just be an absurd thing to do because there's so many of them. And we heard in our public reading this morning, what God promised, look at the stars in the sky. If you can count the stars in the sky, that's going to be how many descendants you will have. Now, you may have heard in that public reading this morning, there was some anxiety in Abraham's voice. That's because at that point, it had been decades since God had made this original promise in chapter 12. And his wife, Sarah, had passed the point at which she could naturally have children. But as we heard in the public reading this morning, Abraham believed God. And God credited it to him as righteousness. And God kept his promise. God gave Abraham and Sarah, supernaturally gave them a son. And that son had sons and daughters, and those kids had kids, and those kids had kids. And generation over generation over generation, until Just like God said, an entire nation, an entire people group came from the line of Abraham and Sarah. And decades and centuries later, through the line of Abraham, God sent his son, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a woman from the line of Abraham. And Jesus Christ the true descendant of Abraham, who lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, rose triumphant from the grave so that those who put their faith in Christ can be adopted and brought into the family of God. Now let's hop back to Revelation 7. And I want you to listen for echoes of the promises God made to Abraham. After this, I looked And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Sound familiar? A great multitude? Kind of like counting as many as the grains of sand or the stars in the sky? Or every tribe, every tongue, every nation? What did God promised in chapter 12? All the nations will be blessed through you. Now for those, rece- for those who received this book originally, Abraham was their George Washington. They would have known that story cold. So they would have known exactly what John was talking about here. John is saying God is going to keep his promise to Abraham, and it is keeping his promise. In fact, in this room, in 2022, in Galloway, Ohio, God is keeping his promise. Every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus is a fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. Made thousands of years ago. God keeps his promises. We have an enemy who wants us to doubt the promises of God. He's been doing that since the very beginning. The very first man and woman were in a garden, this perfect place, in a perfect relationship with God. And they had one rule. Don't eat of this one tree. You can eat of every other tree. Don't eat of this one tree. But the enemy said, did God really say that? Is God really worthy of trust? You should should make your own choices. You should follow your heart. Trust your own judgment. You know what you're doing better than God does. And just like the first man and woman, you and I are tempted to do the same thing. To look at the promises of God and say, that's not for me. Or that's just something that's, that doesn't happen in real life, or just doubt that God can or will keep His promises. Oh, but He is faithful, beloved. In the fall, when we were going through the book of Titus, we talked about how God is a is a God who never lies. He is faithful to keep His promises. On these wristbands, we have Joshua 1.9. Part of that is because Josh has a really cool story. That's where his name comes from, actually. When you see Josh Rosen Treader, when he's back in town, ask him about that story. It's a really good story. But it's also a beautiful promise for us to trust in. It's God saying to Joshua, who he's calling to lead his people into the promised land, God is saying, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. A promise. Why did God want Joshua to choose boldness? Because he made a promise to him that he would be with us forever. And there are promises like that all over scripture. When we're feeling lonely, we can cling to that promise of Joshua or the promise God made in Matthew chapter 28. The Lord promised that He would be with us always, even to the end of the age. Or just a few verses earlier, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. When we're scared of rulers and authorities on this earth, we can look to His word. And we can see that all, every ounce, every iota of authority belongs to God, belongs to our King. So I would encourage you, beloved, learn and memorize and meditate on and trust in the promises of God and his word. And in particular, in verse 9, there is an especially beautiful promise that God makes. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. In this promise, we see that we can choose boldness because God's mission is for all peoples. Dr. Paul Chitwood has said in the past that this, prom- this promise does not say that God will, uh, there will be most nations before the throne, not a majority of languages, not a bunch of tribes, every tribe, every tongue, all peoples and languages. What a beautiful promise of our God. Not every individual, but every nation, every people that shares a common culture and language. Every people will be represented before the throne. And as we prayed, we're so excited to pray for the Longs and our other missionary partners. Uh, We're actually going to have one of our missionary partners visiting us next week, so stay tuned. That's going to be awesome. But not only are we excited about what God is doing to the ends of the earth, we're excited that God is bringing the ends of the earth to Galloway and West Columbus and Prairie Township. Southwestern City School District is 25%, this is as of 2021, 25% English language learners. That means learning English as their non-primary language. They are coming in with a primary language that is not English. That represents... 3,404 students who speak 84 languages. Every single one of those 84 languages, we know from this promise, is going to be present before the throne. God is bringing the nations to us. How exciting is that? I I, I don't know about y'all, I'm stoked. Uh, Y'all who were at our block party, you got to meet people from all over the world. And I was looking in the article, I talked about this. It was uh, people from South and Southern America, South and Central America. It was people from Southeast Asia, people from the Arab Peninsula, people from North Africa. That's four different continents right here. So, we can be, choose boldness and take the first step in making relationships with the people in our classrooms, the people in our workplaces, our clients, our kids' friends, our, their playdates. And many of you have already done, I've seen many of you already do that and take those steps. But I would just encourage you to continue to choose boldness and take that first step Cross cultural ministry is hard. But I just encourage you just take that first step and ask questions. Learn more about their life and their story. Become their friend. And when you get the opportunity, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, make the switch, make the shift. Transition to things of God. A lot of times, people from non U.S. cultures are more open to talking about spiritual things than people who are born here in the States. Can you take the first step? We choose boldness because God's mission is for all nations. And God's mission is not only for all nations. We choose boldness because God is sovereign over salvation. We talked about the sovereignty of God last week in Josh's sermon. In verse 10, God, the multitude is crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now you might be hearing this thinking, Jimmy, that's cool. Like, that's great for you evangelist types, but it's not me. Like, I'm not good at, with people, I'm not good at uh, beginning conversations. And I can relate with that. I mean, y'all know me, I'm awkward. I'm an awkward human. Like, y'all don't have to laugh that hard, okay? Like, y'all don't have to agree that much. Thanks, Kendall. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm, you guys know I'm an extrovert, but I also overthink things. I overanalyze every word. That's my, that's my default setting. I can tend to overthink things. I can tend to, oh, did I say this enough? Did I say this right? Uh, last summer, the guys went through, the guy, maybe it was everybody, I, definitely the guys went through a book called To Tell the Truth. And it was a book about evangelism. and talked about this, how God is sovereign over salvation from first to last. It is only God who can bring dead people to life through Christ. And for many of us, we just felt this weight being lifted off our shoulders. Because then the pressure's not on us to have the perfect words. We can trust God We can trust in the sovereignty of God and be free to obey and trust him with the results. So much of this, beloved, is trusting God to be who he says he is. That's the theme over and over. Will we trust God to be who he says he is? He says that he is sovereign over salvation. And we are invited in to what he's doing. If he wanted to, he could snap his fingers. Great commission done. Why is he commission us? Because he loves us and he wants us to be part of what he's doing. We have the opportunity to be part of the mission of God. This every tribe, every tongue being before the throne, we Redemption Hill Church in West Columbus in 2022, we get to be part of that. that. That's Beautiful. We can trust the promise of God. We can trust God to be sovereign over salvation. And we can choose boldness. Choose to make that first contact, to make that shift, share the gospel. Finally, we choose boldness because God's only redemption, God's only plan is in Christ alone. Now there's something in verse nine. The first time I read this passage, I had completely missed this part. But there's something, once I saw it, I could never unsee it. In verse 9, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. That should be a record scratch moment in the Bible. Because what we see in the Bible over and over and over and over again is you do not stand in the presence of a holy God. Sinful people do not stand in the presence of a holy God. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah—prophet, pretty good guy, huh? Prophet Isaiah is brought into the throne room of God. And as soon as he realizes where he is, he falls on his face as though dead— And he says, woe is me, for I am a sinful man of sinful lips who comes from a people of sinful lips. See, as soon as sinful people, people who reject and rebel against God, are brought into the presence of God, it reveals our sinfulness. That's why when there was a time where uh, Jesus was preaching and Peter was next to him and Jesus did a miracle, and Peter realized who Jesus was, he falls down and he says, away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Why? Because when the penny dropped for Peter, he realized he is holy and I am not. Even John, at the beginning of this book of Revelation, John, who in his gospel refers to himself as the beloved disciple, I'm sure the other 11 love that, by the way. I'm sure that didn't cause any problems at all. He, he, it talks about them having this super intimate relationship. And yet, when the risen Lord comes and appears to John, John falls on his face, and the Lord has to come over to him and say, no, John, it's me. I'm the first and the last. I was dead, but now I live again. Write down everything that you see and hear. So how is it possible that this multitude— Of sinners, these are not special people, just like you and me. These are people that have gone their own way, not God's way, and have rejected and rebelled against God. How is it possible that this multitude of sinful people are standing before the throne, not only standing before the throne of the almighty, holy God, but doing so in white robes, a symbol of holiness? A few verses down, verse 13, 14. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How do sinful people stand in the presence of a holy and almighty God? Only only through the blood of the Lamb. We choose boldness because there is no other way to salvation but through the blood of the Lamb. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The book of Acts, they said, there is no other name under heaven by which man might be saved. There is no plan B. There is no backup plan. Only through the blood of Christ can we as sinful people be reconciled to a holy God. That's true in West Jeff as it is in Wasulu. It's as true in Galloway as it is in Greece. It's true in this room. No one in this room who is a sinner. And all of us have gone our own way, not God's way. All of us have rejected and rebelled against God and are subject to the just wrath of God. And yet, because God, in love, sent his Son to live the life that you and I should have lived the perfect, righteous life, the only one who never rejected God, never rebelled, and died the death that you and I deserved on the cross. And rise again triumphant on the third day as we sang about a moment ago. People from every tribe and every tongue can put their faith in the risen and slain lamb. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe that's your story. If you've never put your trust in the blood of the Lamb, I just, I encourage you to do that today. From wherever you're from, he wants to adopt you and cover you and bring you into his family. If you would say, Lord, I'm sorry I've gone my own way, not your way. I don't want to live a self-centered, selfish life. I want to reject the things that I've been pursuing for my own good, my own glory. I want to follow you. for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who through the gospel have been brought out of death and into life? Will we choose boldness? And we, we love serving our community. We love serving our community with things like block parties and free food and tutoring and things that we've done in the past. We love that. It's great. God makes it very clear that we are to serve into those material needs. But that's not the greatest problem the West Side has. The biggest problem the West Side has, the biggest problem humanity has, is sin. And the only solution is the blood of the Lamb. Gospel is at the top of those pillars. Because the gospel is the only hope, because we love our community, and the gospel is the only hope for those 800 people that came to our block party last week. We went through all of the registration cards. We had 420 or so that were just people that didn't have a church home. Now let's be generous and say maybe 10% of those are are followers of Jesus. That would leave about 380 people just from those cards alone That if the if their lives ended today would be justly judged for their sins and separated from God forever. And we are the ones who God has called to declare his gospel to them. We have been put here for a reason talked about God being sovereign last week and today we talked about God being sovereign over salvation. I don't think it's an accident that you are in this room at Redemption Hill Church today in Galloway, Ohio. I don't think any of us it's an accident. We have an opportunity and stewardship. He is sovereign because he keeps his promises because he is keeping his promise to bring every nation to himself because he is sovereign over salvation, because his blood is the only way will we choose boldness. You know, we let off today reading that Adoniram Judson letter. I only read half. That was the first half of the letter. I'm going to read to you the second half of the letter. Can you consent to all this for the sake of Him who left His heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal. Woe and despair? Those are heavy questions. Adniram and Ann Judson were able to say yes. Adniram and Ann Judson chose boldness. John Hasseltine chose boldness. What will you choose? Let's pray.